this Castlevania week, Hayden. I'm so excited. All right, well, don't don't do the singing. We have and I just can't. We have music. For oh, that. we gonna get awkward intro. But Castlevania, we talk about that. We got uh, big streaming news and uh, Ubisoft stuff. It's a good show. It's a good time. We spent like 30 minutes on the vampire thing. So uh, I'll be a good one. Give it a listen. Feels good to be back after we took last week off. Yeah, it was a rough week. Uh, a lot of moving, a lot of not sleeping, which is ironic given how late I woke up today. And a, uh, and a lot of our lack of production planning coming to finally bite us in the ass. Yeah, we almost got we almost got a year. <laughs> a year. We were like almost three fourths. <laughs> but we we used our off week to come up with you know some plan out some decent enough ideas for some future ones but we were blessed with some juicy ass news this week yeah we got that, fat news now that we can use to fill that time spot you know <laughs> yeah so one of the things that it's happened about when does when did i post this uh i think it was like may 12th so like last wednesday um a, a story made the rounds that Ubisoft, the video game company, is planning to uh, change their strategy, move away from a focus on three to four AAA games a year and move to more of a, what they did, quote, high-end free-to-play model, which, from a grand scheme, the grand scheme of things, kind of checks out with where a lot of video games are going but it's very interesting for uh, for ubisoft of all because i i know i've heard a lot of stuff about them going through some financial issues as a recent i do want to i will note before we deep dive into this that the article that i posted which is from uh video game chronicle they do have an update on this article saying that ubisoft has told them that its free-to-play push does, quote, does not mean it will release less premium games. But therein lies the talking point and where we'll dig in on, well, what does it mean then, Chris? Yeah, it's immediately concerning for me as a consumer regardless. Only because I, you know, I as a working professional who works a a 40-hour-a-week job with around an hour worth of commute and trying to get a decent amount of sleep every night. Uh, if there is room in my heart for such a thing, there's only room for one games as a service. And if Ubisoft's trying to push more down my throat, then that's just more things from them that I can't play, regardless of it competing with everything else. Because they already have Rainbow Six Siege, which is a huge success, and The Division, which is less of a success. Um, they've got Skull and Bones coming out uh, April next Maybe. year now. Maybe. <laughs> Might come out. Who knows? And uh, it just feels like a lot. Uh, the, the smart thing, of course, is that they're not releasing free-to-play titles in the same genre necessarily, so they're not competing against themselves. But I do worry about a market fracture where they're just not going to be able to get enough people playing their free-to-play games. And if they can't make their investment back on that kind of thing, then uh, oh, and I think For Honor is also Ubisoft. 
Mm. Uh, so yeah. it just seems like a lot, and I I, I, I feel like releasing more free-to-play games, especially something that could fall off to the wayside, like Roller Champions, that was really hot for the year it was showed off at E3, and that doesn't get any buzz after the fact. Is it a good monetary strategy? Yeah, it's interesting, because they're definitely seeing that of all... Of all the major game studios, Ubisoft's the one that hasn't really been able to hit on a high-end Battle Royale. Because really, I think that's what this means. Is, yeah, they want to focus on a high-end free-to-play game, mostly because they want to get a cash cow like Fortnite, Apex, Warzone. That's it. I just named off an EA, Epic, and Activision game. They're yeah, uh, their main be... competitors. I would be shocked if there is not a Ubisoft Battle Royale within the there next is. three years. No, there's already one out, but no one plays it. Oh? I think it's Hyperscape. Yeah, no, I, what? Yeah, it is. It's Hyperscape. It's like an urban Battle Royale. Like, you're in an urban city setting, and you can, like, jump on top of buildings. I only know this because of all the streamers that I watch, you know, were paid to play it, like... <laughs> six months ago and the game kind of died immediately it i saw it and was like this isn't my kind of battle royale game mostly because it didn't look like it had a lot of staying power um but they so they had their first attempt but it just didn't hit the market the way the others have i would i mean we're too boomer to know if fortnite still has staying power i think it does to an extent it's not, I, I'd say it's clear to, it's, it's safe to say that Apex and Warzone are the top dogs when it comes to Battle Royales, if not Warzone easily being probably the top. They've at least I taken a significant market share. They've taken yeah. the spotlight firmly away from Fortnite. Yeah, but I don't even want to imagine how much goddamn money like both of those make from a free-to-play aspect. Because I know, I mean, I buy Apex coins... I'll make an Apex coin purchase probably twice a year. Shit, no, it's more like once a season. So that's four times a year. I'm throwing twenty to forty dollars at Apex for a free to play game, and you know, I'm probably a, a minority in how much I spend on it. I feel like most people don't spend at all or a lot. So right, actually, I yeah. don't know if that makes me the minority. I don't know. Um, <laughs> If if you want to know anything about Hyperscape, IGN IGN rated it a five out of ten, so uh, wow. it's not great. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't go with um, I mean, like the Call of Duty route and just made a Rainbow Six Battle Royale. At least that would have had some name recognition. Well, that would have been interesting. Yeah, like because or, or a Tom Clancy Battle Royale to yeah. uh, keep it on brand. I think what could have been really cool is a Far Cry Battle Royale. Like you could have had it as a single player experience and naturally thrown in a battle royale given that the fucked up nature of some of those campaigns you know yeah no that like, would have been cool but aside from that because i mean other than what what are what are your ubisoft franchises where you're like oh i'm gonna play that game when it comes out with a new game um well you know right before watchdogs 2 came out i would have said watchdogs uh, and if they kept making Splinter Cell games, it would be Splinter Cell. And if Assassin's Creed, Unity, and Syndicate 
didn't happen that I would say Assassin's Creed. I don't think I play Ubisoft games anymore. I the only one that I will am still kind of like, yeah, I'll buy it is Far Cry. I I don't know why I like I like the combat loop of Far Cry enough that like when this new Far Cry comes out, I will probably play it. I put emphasis on play it because I don't think any Ubisoft games are on Game Pass. I don't believe. Which means I'm probably going to have to buy it outright. And the last game I bought outright was fucking Cyberpunk. And so I would not buy it at release. (laughs) (laughs) But I think what you just said, I mean, I'm kind of the same way. I don't have any strong brand loyalty to any Ubisoft game franchise except kind of Far Cry at this point. But I, I bought Far Cry 3 way after it came out. I never bought Far Cry 4. And then I, I did buy the one that was the US-based one, but, like, that one was okay. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, yeah, Ubisoft's one where, like, I know they put out, like, quality games for the most part, but they're huge fucking time sinks. None of them are just like, oh, here's a 20-hour game or a 15-hour game. They're like, oh, you could spend... 80 hours in this world and i'm like okay but if that's all your games like jesus christ yeah because for the most part ubisoft games all follow a similar flow chart of gameplay if it's an open world game there are ubisoft tropes that you can assume are going to be present um like you know quote-unquote towers that you have to go to to unlock most of the map that kind of thing collectibles everywhere um, cause they, I mean, like I said, they don't make Splinter Cell games anymore. So it's, uh, it's not often, I think you see a more personal single player Ubisoft title, but it's stuff like Assassin's Creed or Watch Dogs or Far Cry, where you've got the big sprawling map and those games can be really hit or miss. Like it is hard to tell what's going to be a banger when it comes out of Ubisoft, because on the one hand, um, I, I said Watch Dogs 2 earlier. Uh, I actually meant Watch Dogs Legion. I really liked Watch Dogs 2. Watch Dogs Legion was okay. Assassin's Creed has had a significant number of misses, but I hear really good things about Origins. Uh, Far Cry. I've heard really good things about like 3 and 4, but then they released Far Cry Primal, which was just weird. Ubisoft's yeah. a weird company. Yeah. Well, I've I, when it comes to Assassin's Creed... Um... I'm pretty sure, you know, like, Origins... I played some of Origins. That's the Egypt one, right? Yes. Yeah, Origins was pre- was very good of what I played. It's just... They're so... Not, I don't want to say grindy, but they're so just like, oh my god, it's like playing an MMO, but it's not an MMO when it <laughs> comes to how you have to level up shit. That it's It feels so grindy that you're like, I don't know if I want to... Like, the combat loop's good, but there's so much extra shit you to do. I don't want to say you have to do. There's so much other shit to do. And then what was the uh, uh, Greek one? Odyssey. Odyssey. I heard great things about that one, except for that one actually, I think, had almost a paywall where you would get to a point where you'd either have to grind like a mofo or you could pay to get this upgrade to level you up enough to continue on with the content. I think they fixed that at some point with a patch, but I know that was an issue when that came out. And then Valhalla, I've, I mean, I heard good things about Valhalla too, but I, I think the biggest problem with their games is no one finishes them because they're so goddamn long. 
Like, if you go back to the original Ezio Assassin's Creed trilogy, those games were like 15 hours if you did a lot of the side quests. At least I thought. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't remember. That was too long The ago. ones now are like 60-hour games. Yeah, and maybe in that regard, going free-to-play will work in their favor, where, you know, a game like Rainbow Six Siege, um, there's not really an end goal. You get on and you do the same thing every day. Maybe that's better for player retention. Maybe that's better for monetary gain. Um, but despite the size of their games, a lot of times it does kind of feel like they just crank them out. And part of that is probably because of the blueprint they have for making that kind of game, you know? Yeah, and also, I, I think we should stay... I don't believe... It might be now, but I don't believe Siege is a free-to-play game. You have to buy it up front. Oh, yeah, that's true. I It is a games-as-a-service, but it is not free-to-play. But it is it is the model of most like free-to-play games now. Mm-hmm. But I guess that's what one thing I wanted to touch on before before we move on to our next news item is, other than a Battle Royale, what clear kinds of games do we have that are the free to like high-end free-to-play model that aren't mobile games i would say probably one of the next biggest ones is rocket league but but even then i I, i'm pretty sure you have to buy rocket league you used to it is free now it is now okay yeah 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 as of a few months ago i think it's gone full free-to-play but like you know, unless the, unless with them saying that is they're going to revolutionize future games that we're used to and that they are free up front, which would be like it's a thing that EA will never do it. But all sports games need to become free to play. In my opinion. Yeah. You know? I mean, if they're going to charge every year for a roster reset anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I would be fine with like, OK, you pay 30 bucks every year for the roster update. And because they make so much damn money on those ultimate team game modes, it's absurd. Yeah, especially because, I mean, they would never admit this, but with how little changes every year between the sports games, that's a good point. I'm surprised they haven't just made that a service people pay for. Well, it's because people keep buying them. So why would you do it if your market is going to buy it regardless? Like, it's kind of scummy, but from a capitalistic perspective, like, why would you not? (laughs) Well, yeah, clearly EA isn't concerned with their public image, but I would think if the sports games went free-to-play, people would be a lot more forgiving of ignoring how many microtransactions are jammed into them. Yeah, no, 100%. Because at least then it would just be par for the course instead of making you pay $60 and then hitting you with the microtransactions. Because I, I, based off of... Unless, unless Ubisoft's going to come at us with some new IP, which I feel like of all of the... Of the major game developers, they have tried to come out with the most new IP in the last decade. I could be wrong on that. That's just a feeling. Um, I don't feel like many of them have actually hit very well. Um, so you know, it, it it's I'm very interested to see what kind of games they're gonna come out with that hit that fit this free to play model. Yeah, a lot of times I feel like Ubisoft is teetering on an edge of being the next EA or Activision, and they probably could be if they weren't just such a mid developer. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like say they make bad games, because I, I mean, most of their games are pretty good, I would say, but they're not like the 
oh, that's a banger, dude. You yeah. have to play this game. They haven't had a banger in a while. The closest thing you could consider is Siege. And yeah. I mean, maybe Far Cry 4? It got some buzz. I mean, uh, 4 or 5? It probably would more have been 5. Or one of the Assassin's Creed games. I think what Ubisoft has the problem of is that people just don't know what games are Ubisoft games. <laughs> which is weird to say. But that's because all of the games in their library are ones that I've never really ever played that much. Yeah, they, but, they have a sprawling list of franchises. Um, and much like Nintendo, sometimes they just ignore some of them. Like uh, Splinter Cell. Haven't had a Splinter Cell game in a good long time. Who uh, who makes Hitman? Uh, that is also Ubisoft. Yeah. Okay, that's probably. I think their... it, well, it's uh, IO Interactive owned by Ubisoft. I think unless there's a different company making the new Hitman. Okay, because that that's probably their most popular franchise right now. Then I would think. But. But yeah, it'll be it'll be very interesting. No, I'm sorry, to they're see... Square Enix, not Ubisoft. Oh, oh, there you go. So never mind. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what kind of games get announced, or if if at whatever we're getting for this year's quote E3 presentations, whether it's at E3 or the developer reveals, what we get, what we hear from Ubisoft this summer. Um, because I yeah, I I'm very interested to see what we get. But um, to switch, unless you got anything you want to throw in about Ubisoft, nope. I think it's uh, we'll move on to our next big news item, which I believe this one's bigger than the Ubisoft announcement. But it came out today, this morning, that uh, AT and T is selling off Warner Brother Warner Media, uh, which includes HBO Max and Warner Brothers to discovery for about a and, 40 billion dollar deficit yeah they have at&t originally bought it for 85 or was it 84 billion 85 80, 85 billion just about three years ago in 2018 and now they're selling it for 43 which as we both thought when we saw this we're like well what the hell does discovery own <laughs> and they're really just a conglomeration of TV channels. So yeah, everything you know, your parents watch, Discovery probably yeah. owns. Oh yeah, you know Discovery Channel, Food Network, HGTV, TLC, Animal Planet, the Travel Channel. Those are the big ones. Um, like oh, I remember Oprah's, growing up, oh, oh, Oprah's yeah. network is on there. OWN, uh, the DIY network. Growing Cookie, up, the whole uh, you know your your middle aged mom shit. Yeah. My mom did and still pretty much only exclusively watches Food Network. And yeah. my dad was all about Animal Planet. Uh, my parents watch HG, HGTV all the time. So, yeah, that, uh, that, that middle-aged, late-gen Xer, young baby boomer crowd is what they're going for. Yeah, it's um, definitely not a slate of channels that appeals to our generation necessarily, but you know that just the, goes to show. Hey, Ninety Day Fiance, baby. No, you're a minority. Diners, dive, drive-ins, and dives. No, are, stop. Are the are the two shows of a generation? Stop. What generation? I don't know, but <laughs> I hate you. 
But that just goes to show that you can't uh, really count out still the uh, the boomer slash Gen X market that uh, Discovery clearly commands and has oh, yeah. $40 billion to purchase HBO Max. Like, come on. Yeah, I, I feel like Discovery's like, wait, you're going to... You're going to sell us the entire Warner Media library for half of what you paid for it? Fuck yeah, we'll buy it. Yeah, that's got to be a big boon for Discovery, especially when they've tried to launch their own streaming service, Discovery Plus. And I, you know, again, I feel like their market is not the market that is looking to cut the cord and go to a streaming service. I, I don't know their profit numbers, but I don't hear anyone talk about Discovery Plus. So if they well, want to move recently into... recently came out, right? Yeah, it, it was oh, a more no. recent one. Okay, the, the, their Wikipedia page says it first launched in India in March of 2020, which I don't think I knew that. Hmm. Um, but do we know? Do you know how much that costs a month? Oh, it's five bucks a month. I was so say, it's it like couldn't a, be a lot. It's like a Hulu subscription. Is Hulu five bucks a month if you have it with commercials? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure because my family pays for the with live TV option. Hmm. But I, you know, there there are some shows on here that are shows people just think of and go, oh yeah, this is this is the stuff that I would. I would watch. You can get up to one year of Discovery Plus on Verizon with select unlimited plans. And then it's only $7 a month. Well, that's bullshit. That's not even... You see, this just all sounds like the most mid-tier shit. Like, you gotta get it through Verizon. It's $5 a month. This isn't a premium subscription service. It's only $7 a month for ad-free. And that's kind of a... That's not bad. That's not bad, but that's because you're paying for fucking five channels. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, guarantee once this deal fully goes through, they're probably going to drop Discovery Plus and just roll their catalog of shows into HBO Max. And they have I mean, HBO Max already has a very strong catalog. Yeah. And and I don't think adding this stuff is going to hurt it in any way. And after what we talked recently about how many subscribers HBO Max has garnered in the last year, it would make perfect sense for them to go, oh, yeah, we'll just add these to something that way more people are already subscribed to. Exactly. And for sure, it, it is a catalog of shows that could attract more subscribers. It, it's not something that I would trust to carry on its own. But as a chip to say, hey, we also have this. Sure. I think that'll attract some people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any show on Discovery that, like, there's a reason I don't subscribe to Discovery Plus, um, because I don't watch any of those shows. But if you're going to say, oh, we're getting this, and it's also a part of HBO Max, it would, I think you said, it was like, oh, that's another reason to just keep it for another month, or just continue to keep it. It's like, I'm already paying for this, and now I get all these shows? Ah, yeah, you know, it's kind of worth it. Right. So, I mean, definitely seems like a good deal for them. I, I think Discovery is in a pretty good position to make their money back on that. Because, uh, got HBO Max. Like, you know, we talked a few weeks ago about the market share in the streaming market, and uh, they've made a dent, surprisingly. I'm, I, yeah, I kind of can't believe how many people have gotten on it. But I think we talked about it then, and I think it still stands. I think a lot of that was just people who had 
HBO Now or HBO Go that I'm pretty sure ended up just getting rolled into an HBO Max subscription. Yeah, but I imagine a lot of those people will be like me with Spotify Plus. We're like, it's a good enough service that people just need a push to realize it. Very true. I do think it's... Um, I think I said this to you before we started recording, but it definitely makes the sell-off of Crunchyroll make a lot more sense if they were also planning on basically... If AT&T was planning on just completely divesting from media, (laughs) basically, is what they've done at this point. I don't know if they own any other media company. Right, if we're going to see some other big blockbuster sale in the next few weeks. Yeah, so... It is nice that, uh, at least I think, it's nice that they sold Crunchyroll separately. Um, Yes. Like, they sent Crunchyroll to a company that will hopefully take care of it. And, uh, you know, they they made this sell separately to a different kind of company. We are talking about the company in, well, Sony, but I guess also Funimation, that did a social media campaign where they were trying to brag on Twitter about how they were updating different uh, app user interfaces, so, like, depend on different platforms. And I was like, oh, well, you know, the update you did just allowed me to actually use the app, so I don't really know why you're bragging about that. <laughs> I can now watch Funimation on my YouTube TV and the videos actually load. Um, so Look, you're I mean, great with the Funimation app aside. Oh, yeah, but like I was just like, don't don't be out here on on social media being like, what? Well, and I knew it too. They were like, oh yeah, we just updated a new app on a diff on one of our a new. I just said a new app. It didn't name it. I was like, bet money it was the Apple TV app because they know it doesn't fucking work. <laughs> and then like I came home from work and loaded a video on my Apple TV or a video or an episode on my Apple TV just to see, and it worked. And I went, yeah. You're not going to say it out loud because you know it was a problem and refused to do anything about it for like two fucking months. So, sorry. I, I've let the my disdain of Funimation get the hold of me. We're not talking about them <laughs> this week. But the, uh, the, anime, the anime fans have been lacking or, or have been starving out here, Chris. Have they? Have they been? I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of them. Uh, well, yeah, I think uh, on that note, that's about all there is to say about the HBO Max deal um, or the AT&T deal, I guess. A- HBO Max is the big headline here for me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what gets added to it. Does the service change much? Because it would be weird. It's kind of, we're, we're in basically the early 2000s of uh, streaming right now and that there's a bajillion services, and we're still trying to figure out who's going to survive. Mm-hmm. And HBO Max seems like a comparison, but HBO Max seems like they're poised to do so because um, they're oh, yeah. they're putting the money into it. They got the catalog, but uh, we'll we'll see if the boat rocks at all. Yeah, you know, with any luck from a consumer perspective, nothing's going to change except things are going to be added, and that's uh, that's the best case scenario for a consumer, certainly. Yeah, but because that's the best case scenario, you know that. If you want both catalogs, you're gonna probably have to pay, and that's fine. That. I won't. Fair, yes, exactly. Um, but with that, the main big new new thing, not news, but new thing that we are going to talk about this week is that last Thursday, the fourth season of Castlevania 
dropped on Netflix. And we are about to gush about this show. Gush and have, I think, legitimate uh, critiques of it for the remainder of this podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, so here's uh, your spoiler warning. Spoiler warning now. Um, um, go watch it. It's only 10 episodes. It's only half an hour. Uh, and I mean, not even that. I think it stays pretty close to like 25 minutes. So you, you can knock it out in under five hours. Go go watch it. Go watch the whole series. It's really good. It's really, really very good. Yeah, and we will be referencing stuff to previous seasons, I think, accordingly. I know I want to... There's something I'm going to probably refer to season two a lot because of similar reactions that I had. But, you know, let's let's just jump into it. It's great. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So first thing I want to say, uh, when I saw the trailer for the new season, uh, I was actually very afraid that there was a drop in animation quality because uh, they they showed some fight scenes and they they do this thing with the fight scenes where um, they do drop the quality of the character models uh, for the sake of more fluid animation for the fight scenes. Um, and while I wish it could maintain the overall quality, I get it. Uh, but luckily, that did not translate to the rest of the show. It has looked as beautiful as always. I love the art of the Castlevania series. And from start to finish, there was never a drop. It started amazing quality. And the Sakuga was on fucking point this season. Um, I mean... Especially in the penultimate episode, you get the absolute money shot of Trevor running his way up to death during the final fight. Simply amazing. Episode 9 was just them flexing uh, flexing their animation muscles. Uh, because it was really just 20 whole entire minutes. The episode's more than that. But it just felt like 20 minutes of them just being like, this is the full extent our animation team can do. The fluidity, the the color contrasts, and I mean everything done in the animation I thought was fantastic in that episode. I do have some I don't want to say gripes, but things I I I'm actually curious if you noticed this. But did you notice how in some throughout the whole season, and I I don't remember if this was the case in others. But you would have some of the fight scenes where, you know, you have these super fluid, like, action panning shots. But then you would have, like, a little, like, back and forth between a main character and a, someone they're killing. And it would be very, like, choppy, but then go back to being fluid. Did you notice that at all? Uh, not in particular, no. Because I, I definitely noticed it where it would it would do this this little shift between like five frames of it just being kind of choppy and how they exchanged blows and then go into this super fluid magic sequence where they're shooting spells or Trevor's flipping the, the, is it mornings? Morning star, what is yes. it? Morning star around. And I just thought it was interesting that they did that, but I'm pretty sure they did it from a, <laughs> probably because like if if everything was super fluid uh th- we wouldn't have gotten this season for another six months but um i i was quite amazed at how well 
the animation quality was of this season. Yeah, and I think during the fights for me, it was uh, just childlike joy the entire time, where the fights as concepts, as well as the choreography, was so cool that I honestly got lost in the flow. The pace was so frenetic and quick that uh, I was just in awe the entire time and did not look at it with a critical eye whatsoever. It, it, is, it was a welcome change from just the shittily paced Blood of Zeus show <laughs> where, you know, you're panned, you're panned on characters for like five seconds after the scene's over and you're like, what the fuck are we doing? Get on with it. Like, move to the next scene, do something else. And in this, everything just, everything just felt right. It was, oh. And I mean, really, I, I would say I felt like the first four episodes, I mean, they're a little slow, but it's all kind of build up. And then, or the first, did I say four, the first five. And then the last half is just like bang, 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 bang. You're just, it's just. Yeah, that's funny that you say that, actually, uh, because I watched it in two sessions where I watched one through five and then I watched six through ten. And honestly, in my head, I it, it was weird to reconcile the difference in pacing between those parts because I, I had almost forgotten things that had happened in one through five as if one through five was a different season of the show. It, it Well, I mean, it very much seemed like what season three was because that's one thing i was thinking i was like season three in itself like you you could have put episodes one through five at the end of season three and then just had the super big cliffhanger and just had a short season four you could have done that and i think it would have been fine because i mean season three i was just kind of like this is just more castlevania they don't really know where to go with the story or or we know where we're going to go with the story, but we got to get there. And so here's season three. Because mm-hmm. I think season three introduced stuff that is then taken a step further in season four with the trying to bring back Dracula arc. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I if I'm ranking all the seasons, I I probably it's been a while since I've seen season two, but season two and four are both right up there like neck and neck. Season one, in my opinion, is kind of the worst because it's like a pilot season. And I thought season three was pretty good, too, but not as good as two and four. See, I feel like I need to rewatch season two because I hear that a lot. The season two is everyone's favorite. But honestly, I think even after this season, season three is actually the top for me. Really? Yeah. See, my, my, I, my issue, I don't want to say issue. I think the reason why I liked two more was just the overarching story told and season three was much more it felt smaller yeah you were getting a lot of different characters experiences but nothing big happened i don't remember when i say big like dracula doesn't die they don't kill death you know there weren't these Big, huge, world-defining set pieces that happened in season two and four and season three. I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, and I half disagree. Um, if only because, again, in the penultimate episode of season three, 
uh, I thought one of the strongest pieces of storytelling in the whole series was with four different sieges happening all at the same time, where you've got Trevor, Saifa, and Saint Germain assaulting the church where they're trying to uh, open the infinite corridor. You've got Isaac attacking the tower with the wizard. You've got Lenore taking over Hector. Um, and then I, I think there's a fourth one that I have forgotten now. Oh, right. My favorite one uh, with the twins uh, trying to oh, kill yes. Alucard while betting him. It was a powerful moment overall, but it was the only real point that the series built to and or that the season built to. And since they were all separate, it does feel less grand. But I think it's unfortunate that we didn't get another season of the show because I think season three is less impactful given the way that season four happened. There's a lot of things yeah. about the storytelling in season four. Characters that are introduced, character development that gets skipped, that feels like this would be a more complete story if we had a season in between three and four. Hmm. To like further flesh. I think I honestly, I think they did the rest of the vampires pretty dirty. Right. In in season four. And I think they did the best they could. I, I think the season as a whole does not feel very rushed. Uh, it did come yeah. together very well, and every character got a complete arc. Um, and I think they didn't just skip pieces, but they adapted pieces that could have been expanded more. Because we got the time skip at the very beginning of the season. And the immediate thing that I noticed was like, oh, Hector is now very comfortable in Carmilla's castle. Him and Lenore seem to have an actual relationship, but he's still scheming something. It's a very different Hector that we saw at the end of season three. And it's not unbelievable that he would have that development within a month and a half, I think, um, because that's just who Hector is as a character. But it's something that from a story pacing perspective, I would have liked to have seen more. Um, the characters of Varney and Ratko feel like they could have had more time to develop, especially Ratko. Like, the, the twist with Varney makes sense, and I'm less upset about him not being introduced earlier, but Ratko was a very interesting character that had very impactful speeches that I felt like had the rug pulled out from under them for a character that only existed for six episodes in a uh, 35-ish episode show. He so he he wasn't in season two. If he was in the court, I don't remember him because he's someone who. Yeah, I think you're right. What I wish I wish we had gotten to see more of him, and I know he wasn't because Varney is is that who is what it was Varney the the one who was in the court. Yes, he would have known him, and he didn't. So, uh, yeah, I both both the new vampire characters that were introduced to i kind of wish got fleshed out a little bit more varney makes sense um but yeah the big old burly russian dude i was like oh this guy this guy's and then when he when he's fighting with trevor and he's basically like dude i will fucking kill you yeah like he's, <laughs> he's got like, this grand oh. speech about like he essentially believes he's the best vampire who has ever lived he is the best soldier this world has ever seen that was a cool speech I just wish I had more time to see him to build to the moment. Yeah. Did you, um, how did you feel about the, 
heavy symbolism that they were like, yeah, St. Germain's not doing this on his own accord. Out there, they're like, here's six minutes of us just waving the mind control ring in front of the camera for you to see that he got one of these put on him, and that's actually the reason why he's opening this portal. Or or they tried to make it, I guess, it seemed like they tried to make it a little more ambiguous of, oh, was it actually him? Was he being controlled? Or did he do it of his own volition? But then they're just waving the ring in front of my face for like 30 seconds. And I'm like, I get it. He's got the ring on. I know what that means. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know the ring that Hector got put on him? Sure. That lets uh, What's-Her-Face control him? Yeah. St. Germain had one on. Yeah, and Saint but so talking... did his Rebus. Who, wait, who? The Rebus. Yeah, the... Wait, who's that? That was the corpse they made to contain Dracula and his wife that he was going to use to control the Infinite Corridor. Oh, it did? Okay, so I missed that? Oh, fuck. Shit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I think, I think your body theory was already just got dest- out the window. But that body was already destroyed when I thought St. Germain was just like, look at this fucking ring, guys. I don't know. I, I, with them showing it as much, to me, I got the sense that they were trying to be like, well, is St. Germain doing this on his own? Or is he being low-key forced? Especially after when, when Death was just like, it was me, dog. I did this. And he's like, you gotta be kidding me. Well, yeah, and I, Death said that he was just easily led. I don't think there was anything more than simple coercion to Saint Germain. He was just a weak man that was easily manipulated into doing something terrible. At least that's what I think is the best version of his arc. Yeah, I I, I think the the thing that made me think more that he was being manipulated by an otherworldly force was the kind of just shitter way he was just like, what have I done? Where it was like, he almost came to and was like, wait, what, where, where, I've been asleep for six years, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> I, I, think I, it's, it just I think it's more simple vibe. than you're thinking. <sighs> okay. <laughs> but, I mean, that being said, uh, Saint Germain, I also felt like, got done a little bit dirty by the pacing. Yeah. Um, because, I, again, I think him coming back so soon was weird. Yep, uh, I agree. And I think it would have been a lot cooler if we had an entire season for him to be gone and then a cliffhanger at the end of this other season could have been him reappearing. And then you're like, whoa, what the fuck? He's back. Um, I liked the turn. I liked his character arc still. It's just, again, if we had more time to let it breathe, I think it could have worked a lot better. Um, but the heel yeah. turn makes sense. Everything that he did makes sense for his character. And the fact that he's one of the only characters that really got a proper bad ending, also really fitting and very sad. Oh yeah, when when you used to see uh, his girlfriend, because it wasn't his wife, right? Right. Her sil what you assume to be her silhouette, going back like being at the the opening into the infinite corridor, and then it, when it closing, just turning around, you're like, shit, dog. Yeah, it really feels Shit. like he got played the entire time. Like, she just yeah. wanted to get in the Infinite Corridor and then left. Yeah. Well, I also uh, kind of viewed it as, like, a he was never going to meet her again. Like, that's... Once you're in there and gone, that's it, bro. Like, 
you're gone. Yeah. So, I okay, now now we have to talk about the last episode and what you thought because it was the one time where I'm like, you know what? I'm actually okay that they didn't do the thing I thought they were going to do. Because I was perfectly okay with Trevor being dead. The way that they had handled it, I was like, you know what? I, I, that's how you do a major character death. And how they did it. Grandiose shit going out like a motherfucking G. Yeah, And I was I, okay uh... if he was gone. I am a little torn because like we talked about in uh, our Great Pretender episode, it is a terrible pet peeve of mine where when a show or a movie cannot commit to killing a character, it feels cheap to raise the suspense, but then they feel obligated to give you a happy ending so nobody actually died except for the bad guy. But... God damn it if this show doesn't have amazing writing. Because, yeah, initially when I saw that it was Trevor that fell off the horse, I was like, okay, I kind of hate that. You're souring the ending. But then Mm -mm. the moment between him, Sypha, and Alucard was so beautiful that I stopped caring. They handled it so well that I was like, and then then I was like, no, it was great. It was great. Mostly because... They made you completely buy in to Sypha coming to grips with the fact that he was gone, but that she wasn't going to just throw her life away, and she was going to commit to, you know, helping build up a new new village that would be different. It would be a different way of life and a different life for a generation that people in that area had probably never seen. I was like, okay, no, you've committed... You've convinced me to believe it. And then when they were like, oh, wait, now he's still here. I was like, okay. I mean, that's cool. I'm okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) And it was a similar thing with uh, Dracula and Lisa. I wasn't expecting them to still be alive. I thought they would just go right back to hell. And they kind of purposefully, vaguely hand wave that they didn't and just have bodies for some reason. Because they came out of the corridor as spirits and got put in the awful homunculus monster. So it's just like, I guess we're here, but the moment they share in that hotel room where we, once again, after four seasons, got to see them together, this this relationship that drove the entire series, getting to see them decompress and talk, it's just an amazingly written scene, and I stopped caring. I, I, I My favorite part of it was like, oh, we could go home, and then she's just like, Let's let's we owe Alucard letting him put his own shit together for <laughs> once and live his own life. We we owe him that. I was like, damn, that's some deep parenting shit right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really good. And and it, I, I didn't mind that they brought him back. You know, I thought the huh, them bringing him back was the hey, you know, if we somehow were able to do a fifth season, we have a lot of characters at our disposal to write around. Is kind of how I looked at it. Right. And I, I saw a lot of discourse on, for instance, the Castlevania subreddit where they were uh, they were thinking like, oh, well, if they do a sequel series, now they have Dracula to still be a main villain. But I, I don't think so. I think this is effectively the end of whatever story is for Dracula. And I think it would cheapen everything if he was still played as a villain later on. If, if he were, 
it would be like we had a uh a Chris looked it up for me because I don't know how to Google um <laughs> the Belmont family tree. Um I think they could still have Dracula be a thing, but it would be way down the Belmont line. We'd have a new like Alucard still prop will Alucard would be around too, but you know, everyone who's human from this show is dead. So Dracula's wife, presuming that she is still human, given everything that happened, is dead. And so someone comes around and fucks with Dracula, piss him off. And he's like, I'm I'm going back. I'm going back to the way things were. I'm going to kill y'all. Yeah. I think they could do that. I'd hope that's what they would do. Kind of do it like a, what's it, like a, like a, a Castlevania Z, you know? <laughs> Just a, an alternate, like, okay, yeah, you know all these characters, or some of these characters, but let's uh, let's change things up a bit. Yeah, and on that note, you know, I, I like Castlevania as a franchise, but I have not played a whole lot of Castlevania games. So I guess in some canons, uh, Simon Belmont is actually the child of Trevor and Sypha. Really? Yeah. Isn't he one of the more popular? Well, he's the original. He's Castlevania 1. Oh, okay. And he's one of the two eh. Belmonts in Smash. Oh, you're right. You're right. I thought when we did that, when we did that, uh, the family tree, he was like, the, there was another descendant before Simon. Yeah, like, I, I think in the proper canon, he is not a direct, like, child of, but I guess in, in a spinoff game, he is. So, oh, okay. I mean, okay. they're playing fast and loose with the narrative and the anime anyway, so they could do whatever they want, but the implication is possibly there. Yeah, I don't I don't know how much more we want to go into it. Oh, I, I got mean, more stuff I, I could talk about. Oh, uh, okay. Because, again, with not having another season to flesh out the pacing a little bit, it did feel like they shoved a lot of fan service into those last five episodes. Yeah. And I mean, like, proper video game fan service. Um, because like the, the spinny knife thing? Uh, we, honestly, I'm not sure about that. Because, again, I don't know a whole lot about Castlevania stuff. I actually want to look into if the new weapons Trevor got were from games in particular. Um, but I do know that uh, the main trio of Trevor, Sypha, and Alucard, they originally come from Castlevania 3. However, Alucard is a character in several Castlevania games, including the more popular Symphony of the Night. And we saw a lot of powers that Alucard used that come directly from Symphony of the Night that he had never used in a previous season. So, like, when he's moving super fast this season and he's got the red glow behind him, that's a Symphony of the Night thing. When he's shape-shifting hmm. into a wolf and bats and a dampier, that's a Symphony of the Night thing. And these are things that we have never seen him do that they just threw in randomly to throw a bone to the fans. Because, like, when they're running at the, like, big T-Rex laser beast and just, like, for three seconds, Alucard shapeshifts into a wolf to run at the thing, they had for no, no reason. reason to do that. <laughs> for no reason. It didn't actually get him there any faster than he could have already flown. Uh, but it was just a bone. It was just a bone to the fans. And uh, yeah. the the fight with death felt a very similar way. That just felt like a fucking Persona boss battle. Yeah, it was a boss battle for sure. It was like... I was just like, wait, I've seen this in a video game. I've, I've played this. <laughs> like, it was, it was so textbook where 
the the two characters that are not the Belmont are separated from the arena and you get the heartfelt goodbye between Trevor and Sypha and it's Trevor against a big motherfucker of a of a spear with a giant scythe that he's getting his ass kicked and it it felt like I was watching an animated boss fight like that sequence between Trevor and Death was probably the best video game adaptation period I've ever seen and I'm not even oh, sure yes. if that's a fight from the games. I don't know if Trevor fights the spirit of death, but as far as like concepts being put into animation, it's the best. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And to your point on the the references to games, I do. I think you're right, because there were a lot of things that I would see. I, I, I mean, I don't I've never played a Castlevania game, so I don't know any of the actual references that they would have had. But you but can see were, stuff from, that you think. Yeah, you'd see stuff and you're like, I know enough about video games that I'm like, they're showing, they're, they panned on this one thing for two whole seconds because they're like, if you know, you know. And I'm like, I don't know, but I know. Does that count? <laughs> <laughs> right. And and yeah, when they're running to San Germain and they have that squad of five vampires that the three of them have to fight, I don't know if they come from a game but their character designs are so distinct that I feel like they were references to something. Like, they they weren't just fodder. They were too overly designed to be one fight scene enemies. At least that, oh, that you, was my like, feeling. Right before they fight death? Yeah. Those ones? Yeah, that was definitely like, oh, we should probably know who these vampires are. And I could be dead wrong. They could have just overbaked their character designs for a cool moment and that's fine too but it is that kind of thing that's like it makes me want to research more and see if they came from somewhere 100 percent. and uh oh, oh go ahead. i i have one i have one other thing that i think i i'm curious if you have a take on this is the overuse of 360 panning a like more uniquely western animation style i because i, I don't no feel idea. like i don't feel like a lot of anime in fight scenes will just like start a fight sequence almost stop for half a second and then just give you a full pan 360 view around the action that's happening i don't feel like that happens that much in battle anime but i feel like i've seen it a lot in western animation where they'll just like zoom out a little bit and give you a full 360 view because they did that a lot mm -hmm. in this in this season which it was fine i mean it always looked great but they i i can tell you at least seven or eight times where i'm like oh there they go again they're watching us just slice up eight vampires that are just encircling around them you know it's a it's a really cool little trick they do and especially when you've got the trio together and you're like panning the camera around them and watching the fight from the outside. It's very cool. Um, mm -hmm. I don't watch enough anime to know if it was a uniquely American thing, but it is just one of those little things that does make it feel like a distinct production. That it does. Um, and then, uh, boy, Malcolm McDowell was a surprise for me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he was fantastic. When I especially after the twist. When I heard the voice as Varney of London, I was like, "Wait, who the fuck is that?" 
because it's a really <laughs> distinct voice. And uh, it was pretty much the only thing that made me like Varney as a character. Um, if only because he didn't have time to get fleshed out. That and his beady eyes. His his fucking beady eyes are great. Well, think, really good design. You know, part, part of the him not being fleshed out, I think, was per- done purposefully because of the twist of him being death. Right, like, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, You're when... not supposed to know his life story because he's literally there as a MacGuffin to be like, I'm actually not this person. <laughs> yeah, when the transformation happened, that did absolve a lot of tension I had with the season. Because, yeah, it did make perfect sense. The pacing at that point made sense to me. And so then, uh, as an extension, Malcolm McDowell, as death, was even better. <laughs> yes. I'm going to eat your just... soul, shit it out, and then smother your girlfriend with it. <laughs> what a fucking line. <laughs> He was just a fucking troll once he became death. And I was like, oh, <laughs> do you know who I am? <laughs> you know, the, the Russian vampire dude's like, no, nobody knows who you are. I loved it. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, Castlevania still really, really good. I hope, you know, if we don't get a sequel series uh, or some kind of spiritual successor, I definitely want to follow the writers of this show. Um, you know, production studio might be hit or miss depending on how you feel about Blood of Zeus, but the writing has been pretty much 10 out of 10 the entire time for me. And Th- this they're was They're not uh, the same exact production company that did Blood of Zeus. Oh, are they not? Cuz I've I've looked into it. I believe and I could be wrong, so if I if this is wrong, don't hate me people, but I think Mappa has had their hands involved with all of these original western styled animation projects so like uh whatever Castlevania Blood of Zeus the new Black Samurai one um Mappa's been involved with the animation purely the animation side but I'm pretty sure the writing teams are different for all of them okay I was trying to figure that out exactly, but I, the, the reason why I don't think any of them are the same is because I didn't see them being credited of having done this, that, or the other of the same project. So I think those three that I mentioned were all different, pre- predominantly different uh, studios. Okay. That is good to know. Because, um, yeah, like I said, I want to follow the writers. Uh, I think this was... You know, from start to finish, at least a 9 out of 10, if not a 10 out of 10. Uh, and it makes me wish I was a bigger Castlevania fan. I I wish that I could be more invested in the adaptation going on. I wish I knew what parts were pulled from the games. Because I think, you know, depending on how much they took, and if it's not just characters that they reworked, this is probably the single best video game adaptation we have ever seen. In a world plagued by shitty movie video game adaptations, it was <laughs> Netflix and anime that really pulled it off. Well, because have you watched uh, the Dota show on Netflix? No, I have not. I'd be. We need. A, I think for uh, for uh, content purposes, we need to at some point find some time to watch that because I've I haven't heard that it's bad. I don't think it's not as good as Castlevania, 
But that would be the only other thing that I feel like you could say, hey, it might be, it's another decent video game adaptation. Because I think you're right. I, I, I would 100% agree. It is the greatest video game adaptation of something we've gotten. Um, that's, that's not in book form. Because mm-hmm. um, there's some very good video game books book series and book spinoffs but from when it comes to visual another visual medium yeah i don't think anything comes close yeah depending on uh how you rank the witcher as either a video game or a book adaptation then i yeah i don't think it's a competition castlevania is far and away the leader of proper video game adaptations oh even even if you would count it as a video game adaptation i'd still say castlevania is better than the witcher sure but i'm just saying it's uh it's closer to the witcher than if we compared it to like mortal Kombat. yes yes very true but i think uh that's going to do it for this week uh i'm sad that castlevania is over but immensely happy that we have had it at all yeah i i need to rewatch the whole thing because it's been Way too long since I've watched. I've watched season one again, I think, before. Because I was like, oh, I'll rewatch it before season three. And then I only got through season one and then, like, stopped. Where I was like, well, what was the point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I really want to watch season two again and just, like, watch it all the way through. Because, goddamn, this show goes by so fast. Like, it, and maybe it's because I don't watch enough Netflix originals. To be like, oh yeah, it's paced so that you just keep watching it. But damn, other like seriously, episodes six through ten just carve out enough time to watch it all because I couldn't imagine not watching it in one sitting. Yeah, for sure. So until next week, follow us on Twitter yeah. at obsession underscore pod. Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you're listening to us anywhere else, recommend us to a friend. We will try not to take another week-long break again. We will have some things in the tube. Look forward to different kinds of content. We're going to be talking about fast food at some point, I think. And just a lot of tier lists, baby. We're <laughs> clickbaiting like motherfuckers here. Uh, so until then, that's it for us, and we'll see you next week. Bye.